Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. I've told you many stories about my, um, my uh, open shore days, told you about some of the characters that I've, I've had in my church over the years. You may have heard me talk about a gentleman that I call Kung Fu Gary. Kung Fu Gary used to uh, refuse to sit down. Um, he would stand at the back of church, he'd wear a Japanese warrior robe, and he would stand with his arms crossed like this, and would just stare blankly at me as I preached directly in my eyeline. Uh, did not believe in, in Jesus in one way, but came to church every week, uh, a deeply intimidating a deeply intimidating man. And then there's the, the fellow I told you about who set the church bins on fire and then stole our belongings while we watched the fire brigade put the fire out. But there was one gentleman in our church who uh, was, was a quirky guy. Um, he just, you know, there's nothing really to tell you about apart from he just had one verse that he could remember. One verse from all of the Bible that he would quote at various different times. It's in the middle of our text today. Regardless of the context, regardless of the topic, he'd say things like, oh, that really reminds me of Luke chapter 3, verse 7. And, uh, or I feel, like, I feel like God is saying to us, Luke chapter 3, verse 7. And so we would like rapidly scramble to our Bibles, this prophetic word, this amazingly powerful scripture, waiting for what God might see. And then I'd turn in my Bible and it'd say this, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath of all the scriptures in all the Bible? It wasn't John 3.16. <laughs> It wasn't um, Jeremiah 29, 11. It was Luke 3, verse 7. And so, like in the middle of prayer meetings, he'd say, could we just read Luke 3, verse 7? In community groups, when we're looking at love, he would say, that really reminds me of Luke 3, verse 7. At a party, he once said to me, hey, we should all read Luke 3, verse 7. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He'd say that blankly. He'd say that with, um, with no guile, no kind of strangeness. He'd just say it and then like, look at me like, deal with that. You know, like, over to you. Connect the dots. It's obvious for us all. And I'd be like, hmm, snakes, vipers, hmm, coming wrath. I'm not too sure. I couldn't ever tell if he was serious or if he, if he was joking. This was his favorite passage of scripture that he would bring. It was proper awkward. But welcome everybody to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is um, awesome. This is where the, the gospel of Luke catches up with all the other gospels. This is the starting point for Matthew, Mark, and John. The, uh, the, the intro to Jesus' life is over. We're hungry now for some miracles. We want to hear the teaching of Jesus. We want to see Jesus, the man, in action. But before we even get there, Luke wants to just remind us of some dates and in some important facts and a whole lot of information more information about John the Baptist. I'm like, give me Jesus now. We're about ready to get cracking. But Luke is fascinating because he wants to draw our attention to like data, to facts. 
But you know that there's nothing Luke writes that is not consequential. He wants us to to draw our attention to some of the little things that he places in there. He's not at the start of Luke chapter 3, just giving us the date for when things happen. He wants to draw our attention to to a few things. Firstly, there is no king. Israel is divided. It says that Israel has been split into four. We get the name of of four tetriarchs. They're governors. There's no king. They've split the nation in four. Someone rules the north, the east, the west, and the south. The tetriarchs are in place. No king. There is governors. What does this mean? The people are expecting a king. Right at the start of the gospel, the people of God are expecting a king. Little did they know that born amongst them was the true king, the king of kings, the king of all kings, the king of heaven, the one who would die upon a cross naked but for a crown, a crown of thorns with a sign above his head that would read the king of the Jews. At that time, there's confusion about high priests. You know, the, the Jews are supposed to have one high priest, but we get two named in here, Annas and Caiaphas. The Romans had chosen one because they didn't like the Jewish one. So there's confusion, there's separation, there's power control, there's issues, there's infighting. But little did they know that a born amongst them would be the great high priest. The priest forever. The one who would make the ultimate and the only sacrifice for sin. And he'd do that with his own life. His life for ours. How incredibly awesome that in two bits of passage that you'd sneak over, you see a nation desperate for a king and a whole load of people who don't know who the high priest is. Here comes the one who is king of kings. Here comes the one who is the great high priest. And then Luke zooms back and he gives us more about John the Baptist. Do you remember him? The gospel of Luke starts with him. He's the miracle child of Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're old, they're barren, but yet God gives them John, a baby filled with the spirit even before he's born. And the angel of the Lord prophesies these words about him. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go out before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Ready for this? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The mandate upon the life of John the Baptist is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That is his life's work, single focus. And so when we get to Luke chapter three, this is where it all begins to take place. The word of the Lord comes to John the Baptist while he's camped out in the wilderness. It's worth saying that John the Baptist is a little bit unusual. I'm going to go as far as a bit of a weirdo. In um, Matthew, Matthew describes his appearance a little bit for us. His clothes were made of camel's hair and he had this leather belt around his waist. His food were locusts and wild honey. Now I know what you're thinking, he's a hipster. You're thinking, he's probably in Brightline. Have you seen the price? (laughs) Have you seen the price of um, camel hair coats? You can Google it if you like. 
you'll probably struggle to find a camel hair coat for less than 500 pounds. It's like, nowadays, it's top stuff. But I think John the Baptist found a dead camel and peeled his skin off and made himself some clothes. He's a bit of a weirdo. John is not on trend, he's unusual. He's radical, but he cares for nothing but the coming king. He's single focused. And there he is, he's in the wilderness, seeking the Lord, preparing himself to prepare a people after God, waiting for the call to come. And I imagine he's knitting together the teeny tiny hairs of a camel, and he's, maybe he's, um, he's like honey roasting some locusts, and then the word of the Lord comes to him. He's like activated like a secret agent. You know, he gets a call, he gets a call, and it's enough to get him started. Like he's been waiting. What has he been waiting for? I'm so intrigued. It doesn't tell us what the word was. I want to, you know, like, what was he doing at that moment in the wilderness? And what was the word? What was the word that made him go, oh, it's on? Maybe it was like, it's on. Or maybe it was that he heard God speak those words from Isaiah 40 that says this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, crooked roads shall be, become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. How awesome is this? I wonder if he sat um, on a stone in the wilderness and God says, prepare the way, let's go, and he's off. I love the fact that he's waiting for God to use him. He hears the word and he acts. No delay, no doubts, no fear, no discussion, no compromise. Isn't there a lesson for us there? When we hear the word of the Lord, it's time to get going. The word of the Lord doesn't say, sit still, wait a bit longer. When the word of the Lord comes, it's time to act the question to you this morning is, are you activated by the word of the Lord? Are you like a secret agent? Are you waiting for the word of the Lord to come? When you hear it, will you act? When you hear his voice, will you respond to his call? John's mandate is clear. Make crooked paths straight. Fill in the valleys. Take down the mountains. This is not landscaping Andy Campbell style this is about making a way of the Lord it means about preparing the ground for salvation and the ground is the heart of God's people will you make them repent will you take all the sin and the rubble and the stuff that gets in the way and will you put it to the side will you get rid of that stuff will you clear the way for the salvation of God will you clear the way for the Christ to come Remove the sins of God's people. John is so radical. He has no right to call people to repentance. He has no right to tell them that they, their sins can be forgiven. And baptism, calling them out to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, that isn't even a thing. 
Like you can maybe find some kind of scriptures in Leviticus that imply that priests got washed. And there's some kind of rumor that says occasionally when people converted to Judaism, there was some kind of washing in that process. But there isn't baptism. Baptism isn't a thing. So when John comes out of the wilderness, full of the Spirit of God, shouting, shouting at the top of his voice, repent of your sins and be baptized. This is crazy stuff. He's from the family of the priests. His mom is in the lineage of priests. His father, Zechariah, was in the the line of priests. But John, John is like a wilderness weirdo. What is he doing? But our kingdom is an upside down kingdom where God uses weirdos to wash away sins. Surely this stuff should happen in the temple. Surely a priest should stand and call the nation. The the high priest should stand and call a nation to be cleansed, to have their sins removed. And surely if they were going to do baptism, it'd be somewhere in the temple courts, somewhere under one of those pools that exist like Solomon's colonnade. Beautiful, clean water, but yet John calls them out to the river Jordan. Why the river Jordan? He brings them to the very place that the people of God crossed over into the promises of God. He takes them back to the water and he says, go into it. You know what? It wasn't the finest water. It's known as the, some of the dirtiest water in the world. It flows into the saltiest water in the world. It's the lowest point on the planet but come to the place where we remember that we cross into the promises of God baptism reminds us that we cross into the promises of God and then we jump to my mate from church's favorite passage in Luke 3 7 John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized to him you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, baptism got real popular real quick. People would go back and say, I met this guy in the wilderness. He might look a bit of a fruit bat, but he, he's got something. And he asked me to be baptized and my sins were forgiven. I went down in dirty water, but yet I came up clean. You need to go and do this. And so en masse, people begin to journey a crowd form. And maybe they're there for the wrong reason. Maybe they want to be baptized but have little desire to really change. There's no heart change. They just fancy the experience. Maybe they want to give up the old way of doing sacrifices to get rid of the sins. It's far cheaper to go down in the water than have to pay for a goat. I don't know what it is, but either way, they're there for the wrong reasons. They're leaving with their life still the same, the same issues and the same sin. And John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Where there's repentance, there should be fruit. What's the fruit of your repentance? And so the question is, what is that fruit? And so the people say, I'm sorry, but we don't know what it is. What should we do then? What should repentance look like in our lives? They're confused, like, give us a clue, uh, John. Not that Jesus yet, apologies. And John says this, anyone who has two shirts, share with the one who has none. 
and anyone who has food do the same. Even tax collectors can be baptized, uh, came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then, t- then some soldiers asked, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I love this stuff. This is some gold right here. The fruit of repentance is not go to church. The fruit of repentance is not sing more or read your scriptures more. The fruit of repentance is not this kind of false religious righteousness, but it's something quite incredible. But let me first draw your attention to who he says is included, who can repent. He says uh, shirt wearers. I've looked at the Greek here. It's not just blokes that wore shirts. In fact, their word for shirt really means underclothes. That's cool. I thought you'd be impressed by my knowledge of the Greek. It means undergarment. He's saying anybody who wears undercrackers, you're included in those who can repent. I hope that's all of you here this morning. I'm not going to ask. And um, even tax collectors... Tax collectors came out to be baptized. They are considered the traitors of the Jewish people, the backstabbers. They were ripping off the people of God and giving the money to the Romans. They're not good people. It's like the government. Some could say, (laughs) but not me. And even soldiers, they're not even considered to be the people of God. They are Gentiles and they are oppressors. So you've got to remember what was going on at that time. Israel is under occupation. The Romans have charged from their bit, which I think might be Rome, and they're taking over the world. They've taken over Israel. And in every town, you'll find a a garrison, uh, like a, a, a platoon of soldiers, guarding and controlling the people, but as the people march out, the soldiers kind of go with them like security guards, but when they're there and they hear a message of come and repent, they're like, do me too. Have you had those guys at a baptism service? They see baptism happening. They don't even necessarily love the Lord at that point, but they are encountering the presence of God, and then you say those words, anybody else want to go in while the water's hot, and you, me, me. It's like that for the Romans. They, they follow the people of God out there and then they're like, do me too. But what should we do? What does it look like for us now? Is my life over? Is it kind of done? I'm unsure. Lined up on the banks of the river are all types, Jews and Gentiles, the least and the last, the first and the fast. Jesus fully forgives intends to forgive all people, even those who rip you off, even those who bully you. Think about it for the minute. Who do you find really hard to love? Let me tell you, Jesus fully intends to rescue and save them too because his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. And the fruit of repentance, what does it look like? If you've got two pairs of pants, give one away. If you've got enough food, make sure you give that away too. Isn't that incredible? The fruit of repentance is not singing, it's not buying another album, it's not reading and sitting, reading your Bible all day. What the sign of true repentance is, is when you begin to give away what was once yours to those who are in need. And if you're a tax collector, 
Isn't it fascinating? He doesn't say, stop it. No more tax collecting. But he says, let's redeem it. Those who are tax collectors, stop ripping people off. Keep being a tax collector. That's not a bad thing, but don't rip people off anymore. In fact, be generous with what you have. And if you're a soldier, he doesn't say stop being a soldier because being a soldier is bad. He says just stop being a bully. Don't abuse your power. Amazing stuff. Salvation is displayed as we begin to live for others. The fruit of repentance is selflessness. Selfishness has to die. The me first attitude has to go. A life lived for yourself needs to come to an end. The old life has gone. The new life has come. You no longer live for yourself, but you live for others. The fruit of repentance is good fruit. It's called fruit because it's for other people. The fruit of a, a tree is not, can't be eaten by the fruit tree. The fruit is for other people. See, fruit blesses others. Fruit brings life to others. Fruit tastes good to others. Fruit feeds the hungry. Fruit is what you take to the sick. Fruit is for those around you. Fruit is for the other. We leave our old lives in the water of baptism. Repentance is to turn back our backs on our old ways. The nature of salvation is that we receive the selfless sacrifice of Christ. We receive the selfless sacrifice of Christ. We receive the life of our selfless Savior. And therefore... We should live selflessly for others. You can't receive something given selflessly and then be selfish with it. We're not called to imitate the selfless Christ, but live in the power of his selflessness. To receive him, we lay down our lives and we pick up the life of Jesus. But we have an issue, don't we? We have an issue in our nation, which is we're tempted to keep everything to ourselves. We're told to look after, number one, not care about those around us. We're told that self-sufficiency is a sign of success. The world tells us that we're to look out for ourselves. But to be Christians, to be Christ-like, to, to, for the fruit of repentance to be displayed in our life, we must be selfless. We should be the least self-focused, the most generous, the most humble. We must be putting others first. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where repentance leads us to live for others, where salvation makes us selfless. To bring salvation, Jesus gave up himself. To receive salvation, you must give up yourself too. The fruit of repentance is not a better you. The fruit of repentance is a lesser you. He must increase, you must decrease. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.